everyone and welcome to Technically Minded brought to you by DMW Group Equidera Company. My name is Kyle Taylor, I'm a managing consultant at the firm and your host for this episode, the second in our two-part special discussing whether brand loyalty is a dying trait in banking. Unfortunately, we are all still working remotely and we experienced some unanticipated technical issues during the recording of this episode, so this is just a quick voiceover to get you up to speed before rejoining the conversation. In this episode, I'm joined by the same panel of friends and colleagues to conclude the conversation we started in part one. Keith White, Director at DMW, Stephen Trainer, Solutions Architect at DMW, and guest or friend from Whitecap Consulting and Fintech North, Julian Wells. Uh, before we pause the conversation in part one, uh, we touched on a few things and just to quickly recap on them so that we can dive straight in. Uh, we covered challenges maintaining comp- competitive mortgage and savings products in the current climate, whether external or demographic challenges were creating a need for traditional USPs to evolve. We suggested some technologies or principles that could really help uh, with digital innovation of these product sets, for example, cloud, open data and MarTech. And finally, we concluded that USPs are shifting from organisational centricity to product centricity and that building societies or tier two organisations are probably the best place to innovate. Uh, So without further ado, we will rejoin the conversation where Julian Wells picks up on how organisations may go about digitally replicating USPs or whether there are any opportunities for new USPs. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy the discussion. I think what we talked about last time was uh, the way that organisations needed to um, to develop non-price-based USPs because the impact of technology and data was meaning that their customers, customer, if customers were going to choose on price and price alone, that um, that that they uh, it'd be a race to the bottom. And so it was important to develop other other factors or other strengths around which customers could be. Uh, could be attracted and retained. So I think that means that uh, that we're we're discussing things like brand and experience and service, uh, as well as uh, maybe sort of product design rather than just product pricing. So uh, product criteria, um, product innovation, they're all they're all routes to uh, routes to differentiation. I think one of the most interesting areas is, uh, and uh, Stephen and I were talking about it just recently. Uh, how do you how do you kind of take some of the traditional experiences that customers are used to having in financial services in say branches or face-to-face interactions and how do you deliver them in a in a kind of compelling digitally driven way that still gives the customer that connection with your organization and with the people they're dealing with whilst also giving them all the benefits that they uh, that they might expect to get in terms of um, seamless service and uh, the you know the way that their data is dealt with and the way that they can they can interact. So I think there's a really interesting space there. I think uh, I think what we we'll, we'll see and what we're starting to see already is branches being uh, repurposed and and used in different ways. Uh, there's been some interesting examples. I know uh, going outside the building society sector, um, but um, Virgin has um, has had this uh, this space in the middle of Manchester. Um, which was called um, uh, it was called B before when it was Yorkshire Bank and the, uh, the it's like a store so it is a branch but actually there's nothing branch based there but there's there's kind of local 
retail um stuff that you can look at there's lounge areas there's communication areas there's a you know there's meeting rooms and uh, and yeah you can do your banking but it's all on a it's all on a touch screen doesn't really look like a bank at all but they made it a very welcoming environment it's just one one example of, of the way that people might attract that challenge i might might tackle that challenge so so for me i think that's the key just to summarize that it's about trying to turn some of the uh, traditional USPs into digital USPs and then also trying to make sure you're zoning in on non-price-based um, points of uh, advantage. Yeah, so I, I completely agree, Julian. And I suppose to, to build on that, I think it's so important when these organisations are moving to digital that they're also transferring their brand visually um, and representing that in a digital means. It needs, it needs to feel familiar to the customers to begin with. And taking a sort of customer-centric approach to design is, is one of the best ways they can do that. So having the customers involved in that feedback cycle as they're developing these products, making sure um, that they're meeting the needs and, and also understanding how they would like to use them moving forward and developing for them. Because at the end of the day, they are the end, end users. And just on the sort of user experience as being a key differentiator, I, I think that's huge. I mean, I, I look at personal experience. It's not in the finance industry, but for the energy industry, our gas and electric is with, um, I'm not going to say the name, but it's with an organization. And we know we're not getting the best price, but their app is so user friendly. It's very easy to pay. It's very easy to project forward. And we haven't changed for seven years just because my girlfriend's so familiar with it. And I think that just sort of shows the power of differentiating user experience. And and again, that's something that can translate easily within FS. Yeah. And I think the, the, the build I'd make on that from, from my past experience is that you, what particularly sort of an organization like a building society that's moving from a traditional base needs to be thinking about is how does it not only does it how does it translate its its brand and its customer experience that people have got used to and like into the digital realm. But it needs to think about how not just having that then reside in the digital realm. It needs to be a seamless customer experience. There's no good, you know, having a great website and a great digital experience if somebody then picks up the phone because something gets more complicated. And actually, it's a different customer experience on the, on the voice channel because yeah. that starts to create friction that doesn't necessarily need to exist and as you get a better digital experience customers start to expect that that experience will be replicated and will be consistent on the phone in the branch when the branches reopen you know people start going back in there and that they don't have to start again and that's where the the, the question of multi-channel versus omni-channel starts to become really important and we talked last time julian raised the point about how data is, a, is a, an essential underpinning of this. So how do you manage and maintain that customer data so that people have access to it in the appropriate way that customer journeys can, can, it, can feel like they're continuing and they are seamless, even if actually within the society, there's a couple of little breaks and then we've got a couple of little fixes that we're working through. Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be a you don't have to migrate the entire organization to a single omnichannel platform you know because that's going to be really difficult and take a really long time and cost an awful lot of money but you can create 
that same experience for your customers if you are if you are creative and you are thoughtful and you start to think about the technologies you're using to make data you know a real thing for your organization and make it a data-driven organization you know and that and that in this you know begin get starts to give us a you know, will start to give you the power of innovation how how, how far are people off doing that keith because i mean it just sounds sounds great doesn't it but are, are organizations really can they how many financial services organizations have got that kind of multi-channel omni-channel piece right at the moment do you, do you have an idea from your your work i would i would probably struggle to pick one that say yay that they are the you know, i mean somebody like first direct is probably in a, in a strong place but then that's you know if you think about them as a brand they are their voice and digital you know and so they, they were created as a brand i mean it's a bit like stephen was saying last time about well, can you can you carve something out and create a new standalone entity as a as an operating entity and and launch that to market to to, to meet your digital ambition and in a way that's what that's mm. what was done when first direct was created all that time ago i can remember first direct first launching you know as the telephone bank um so you know brands like that have started to get it right in the traditional space it, it's it's quite difficult you know that 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 hold of legacy um, that we touched on last time, it, you know, is a it creates a fear that it's going to be really difficult to do, and it's mm. going to be really difficult to integrate. And yet, actually, the, the, you know, you can you can look in other sectors, and you can start to see other sectors where people have started to get there. You know, retail is a good place to look. You know, if you look at brands like Waterstones, for example, they've really started to make moves to bring together. You know, I used to when I was working in another organisation and we're looking at retail. We used to call it how do you, how do you create clicks and mortar? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you make it so that the digital channel actually adds to your physical channel? Yeah. You, know, you go into Waterstones now, you've got a completely different experience. It's not just a bookshop. It is a bookshop, and it's a really successful bookshop. And how have they managed to be really successful when actually other brands in similar retail sectors have struggled? And we mm. can think of ones that have, you know, struggled and gone bust or come back and gone bust and come back selling CDs and, and DVDs, can't we? You know, and, you know, yet they've they've managed to do something with their app, their website and their stores. It's probably not perfectly joined up as an op- true omnichannel experience, but it feels like a single customer experience and a single entity to the customer. You know, and I think that's the, that, in, in some respect, that's the ambition for building societies. That's what they could do, mm. you know. You know, and they don't have to be dramatically changing their operations, but they do need to think about how they manage that data, because that's mm-hmm. what will enable their agents in the contact centres, their branch staff, and their, you know, and their and, and their business development people talking to brokers and their head office staff. That would, that's what will help them really manage that experience well. Thanks, chaps. Some really interesting um, points in there that I'd I'd pick up on. So I think. The main thing that I've I've taken from that really is, you know, if if these organisations could embrace a kind of continuous improvement mindset, then that might alleviate some of the, as you kind of called it, Keith, like fear, because obviously change is disruptive and nobody really um, wants to take on the challenge of change. But if you break that down into smaller bite-sized pieces and you have a sort of proactive view to it it can kind of um 
really help, I guess, to make the challenge seem like less of a mountain and create a bit more of a molehill um, and probably put people on, on the front foot. Um, what I did find really interesting within what you all said, I, I guess there were elements of, I'm not sure what, how else to phrase it, but there's, there's a philosophical term of like epistemic distance, like something's there, but it feels really far away, basically. Um, and I think you've all kind of given examples of how, despite there being that distance, um, particularly given the current circumstances, which have, you know, to a degree forced that, there's, there's this kind of element there of um, you can still make it feel like you are holding the customer's hand, albeit you're not, you know, you're not there physically doing it. Um, and, and for those people that are able to leverage technology and, and do that, um, that's a really strong and, and, and powerful element to add to your brand, which to a degree, I guess, um, supersedes existing USPs. Um, but I, I'm, I'm waffling on again. So I think I'll lead us into our next talking point, which, uh, Keith, you've kind of nicely teed up for me. Um, but the second talking point today, chaps, is it, if you were to focus in on, on, on one technology each, um, the question is, uh, could trending technologies um, help make these products digitally sustainable and uh, more resistant to disruption? Um, so we focused in on savings and mortgages products um, in the past. Uh, today, we framed the conversation more around building societies and tier twos, which kind of align with that product set. But um I'm I'm keen to just get everybody's take on that, basically. Uh, Stephen, can I start with you this time around? Yeah, sure. So I suppose I'll pick something that's quite close to the heart. So I'll go with cloud, as I, something I work on day in, day out. So I, th I think, I mean, if you look at cloud over the last 10 years, it's quite fascinating um, how far it's come and how, how much change it's actually brought, especially within financial services. So I don't think I can think of a single startup which wouldn't be as successful as they are today if they haven't used the likes of cloud to accelerate their delivery. So what you get is you have the ability not to invest in infrastructure um, straight up. You have uh, the ability to scale with your customers. Uh, you, you don't have to hire a load of specialists, um, so data scientists, data engineers. You, you can just use the prepackaged services that they provide. Um, and you can deliver value to your customers very quickly. Um, I suppose, and that is where these um, fintechs have been so, so successful. They've developed an idea and then been able to deliver it quickly to their customers and then iterate it within very short feedback cycles uh, to get it to a point where it's exactly what they want. It's given them a full personalized journey. Um, it's it's backfilling the functionality that, that the old um, retail banks uh, were struggling with at that time. And I mean, from an opportunity perspective, Cloud is out there for everyone. It's it's not it's not restrictive, um, and there's so much benefits to be gained. It's just how you really use it. And I think it comes down to the whole: don't try and boil the ocean. So start small. Look at where you can really add value to your customers, and pick small use cases and, and leverage these technologies to prove it out. And then once you've proved that out, then expand outwards. I've I've seen it countless times where clients have want everything, everything to cloud as quickly as possible, um, which is great in reality. But if, I think if you think pragmatically, start small um, and iterate out. 
Yeah. Um, I'm just picking up on on your point, Stephen. Um, I wonder if you've got a bit of a take on uh, leveraging hybrid cloud within that. And um, the reason I ask is obviously cloud isn't it's constantly at the front of our radar, but it's not new. I mean, there's plenty of cutting edge developments going on within cloud, which is a very broad bucket at the moment. Um, but something that I guess uh, because of that might have occurred is people are or feel tied into a cloud provider. Um, do you think there's any space for a hybrid cloud model? Well, of course, I suppose it, it comes down to the use case, really. Um, but it, yeah, it depends. I mean, if you look at a lot of um, organizations, especially within the FS industry, they have a lot of on-premise legacy old systems. And to move to a cloud, probably a, a good approach to take would be a step change approach. So look at bringing those um, small services and migrating them bit by bit. Do you think that's um, applicable to cloud provider as well? Do you think there's any room in that? So what do you mean by cloud provider? Do you mean going multi-cloud? Yes, potentially. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah, so um, multi-cloud is an option. You can benefit from um, the value that each provides, different services that they provide uh, gives you more resilience more fault tolerance um, but ideally if you're if you're starting new you want to start with a single provider um, and then work your way out cool thanks Stephen um, I will uh, pester Keith now to get his take mm -hmm. on uh, a technology that you think could yeah. could really help yeah I'll, I'll, if I you know I'll take a step on from where, where, where Stephen was was talking there I think one of the one of the things that I'm really quite interested in is how MarTech can play into the way in which um, building societies can start to build that relationship with their customers. We talked last time about the need for a relationship which allows them to communicate how they're different and why their brand is of value. And to Julian's point earlier, take it away from that race to the bottom because it's all about price. And you know, the MarTech sounds big and chunky and awfully clever but it, it, you know essentially it's about a means of communicating with your customers and automating that communication it's built on your data back to what i was saying earlier if you can get a handle on that data and you've probably got more data in this in a society than you know realize and you're probably missing some data about your customers as well but if you can start to bring that together you can start to democratize how that data is used so that people in the front line of service have access to and able to utilize that data and then you build it you can then start to build models on top of it that allow you to automate conversations and back to what Stephen was saying again you don't need to start with a massive infrastructure you don't need to spend 18 months putting it in you can build it you know use case by use case and you can use the cloud services and you can use other technology within there to be able to build that out and I'm one of the best ways of doing it that I talked to a, a customer about some years ago was to use it to build a conversation so that every cost, customer interaction, whether it was by voice or by email or by the website or by an app, was part of a conversation with the customer. And then you can you can find use cases that enable you to do that and you really build a strong relationship and you start to prove the value of the technology. 
I was just going to add on the, the MarTech point. I, I think it's really powerful as well, being able to understand what your customer needs before they even know they need it. And that counteracts the whole risk of them looking to the aggregators, looking to the cheapest price, because you're there before they even have to make that move. And that, I mean, that's super powerful. One of the things that, yeah, great things is that you can start to, and start to, even if you're like slightly less clever, is, is next best action. So a customer comes in, doesn't complete something, or is partway through, not sure what to do. You can be prompting them with what it is that they need to do next and how they can go about it. You're building a customer service, even though you're actually trying to accelerate a sale. But it's a service-led thing. It's a customer-led thing. And that's where, to Stephen's point about the UX, UX isn't just about the design of what it looks like. It's actually about what is the customer trying to do, understanding the customer journey, understanding the experience the customer wants, what's the wants, needs and emotions of that customer at that point in time. And understanding that from a customer research point, building it in so that you're doing user-centric design really helps make that really powerful. And it needn't be big and complex. It can be done by simple use case, by simple use case approach. You know, so that it, you can you can do something that turns a little dial relatively quickly, relatively low cost, and 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 start to leverage the power of it very very early on. Thanks, chaps. Uh, Julian, I'm keen to bring you into this and get your perspective as well. Yeah. Well, firstly, I've found both of those inputs really really interesting. Um, you guys come at this from a, from a, a knowledge a point of uh, tech knowledge and expertise, which I think uh, makes you think differently about things. So uh, my my view of this is probably a little bit more uh, basic in tech terms, but um, there are two things that I think are important. One of them uh, is the the technology around um, APIs and uh, that that the benefit that that can bring. So if if you're going to focus on, uh, on on what one bit of tech could do for you, uh, APIs can give you that connectivity, can enable you to access um, you know access other third-party capability that you just can't build yourself. But maybe even more importantly, can help you enhance the customer experience and customer uh, you know the user journey, which is the kind of relates to the points that Stephen and Keith have made. Um, but I think with building societies, which we're sort of putting a lot of focus on today. APIs are not necessarily that easy to uh, to to introduce, and uh, and so in the absence of APIs, I think the thing that I would focus on would be um, uh, automation and uh, and trying to get the benefits of uh, of making your own processes inside your own environment as efficient as you can. So so I think uh, you know RPA and um, and AI are really really important. It's a kit within uh, within your own internal toolkit. Thanks, chaps. Um, obviously, there are a, a number of um, different technologies that building societies could could look to implement if they're not already along that sort of technology journey um, to try and help overcome some of the the challenges at the moment. Um, I guess that you've all kind of uh, picked on related but still different technologies. Um, so I guess my next question to you all, um, and Keith, I'll come to you first on this one, um, but is really how how would these organisations make best use of them and, and prepare 
Um, so I, I guess we've kind of touched on it by by having a more iterative approach, but um, just focusing in on on the technology that, that that you picked first. So so Martech, what would be your advice basically? I think I'd do two things first of all. One's that, one, I'd try and take take stock of where I am today. So what data do what data do I currently hold about my customers and my products? You know, and where it, and do I know where it's held? You know, I mean, it, it may that may sound you know pretty pretty obvious, but actually it's, it's not always quite as simple as that. But if I know what I've got, where it's held, who's responsible for it, then I've got a starting point to then start thinking about where's my gaps. And at the same time as I'm doing that, I can be thinking about what I'm, what is the technology I currently have in my stack that enables me to cut to communicate with my customers. So we've all got it. You know, all of these organisations will have email distribution mechanisms they all have um things that allow them to pull you know pull something together that, that, that you know whether it's an e-newsletter or whether it's a a message about an account and that sort of thing they'll already have some technology there if i understand what i've got then i can start to think about what is the use case that i will actually deliver a benefit for for me now that i might want to do something with and then i can understand where i've got gaps and that's to Julian's point, that then helps me understand what kind of API integration I might want. Because I can, if I can start to build some form of API management, then I can start to think about how I can leverage those in the future. I can then start to think about how do I pull that from the cloud? What microservices enable me to fit in there? And then I can then start to deliver something which delivers some benefit get some recognition for this piece of this approach and then I can look at the next thing and I can leverage the same technology again the same investments into the next use case but I might add another layer more but all the time I'm reducing the cost and increasing the speed to market of those services you know but it's then thinking and then I can start then start to think about and what's the next bigger thing I can achieve because it might be about how fast can I launch a new product you know you think one of the things that need to innovate on is can I get um, can I get the, the launch of a new product down from X number of days to X number of hours because it actually I might need to move quickly in the market you know and really take advantage of something that's going on out there and that might be a mortgage product it might be a savings product often more likely a savings product needs to get to market very very quickly but that's the you know those are the things that I would start to think about and think about how do I learn more about my customers as I'm doing that you know, you've got to you've got to wrap all that round with understanding your customer journeys and your customer segments, but understanding what you've got and what it is you want to do and where the gaps are is where I'd start. Stephen, is there something that you want to jump uh, in on there? I was going to say, I mean, that, that that answer also reflects the move to cloud very well. Um, the the other thing as well is just looking at the skills you have internally and whether you can backfill, um, well, whether you have those skills, and if if you don't, then look to the market or bring on help. Um, to 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 get you to get you to the cloud but yeah start small um and then iterate out i think that's the approach i would take i i'm not sure if it, if it does apply but i guess in all things um you know asking for help is is not a sign of weakness it's a position of strength so i think that's a really important point um to add in there Stephen. um julian do you have any uh, thoughts just to tidy this talking point up I just add one thing, which is I think that before you start with anything with these technologies, just make sure you understand 
uh, you know, take stock, whether that's, uh, as, um, as Stephen says, getting external expertise or, or, or doing it internally. But um, don't don't just jump into something because it's possible. I think uh, you've got to you've got to have a firm view of uh, what what is this? Why are we doing it? And what do we what do we expect to get out of it? And uh, if you start on a solid foundations, then you're, you're much more likely to build something that's valuable. Yeah. And that um, value is is really important. Um, but again, uh, nicely leading on to our final talking point for today, um, which, you know, you guys have basically done the hosting for me, which is a nice change. Um, our final one today is is just from each of you, just to tidy up this conversation, what's the one key sort of takeaway or recommendation you would um, give to building societies as, as we've focused in the conversation on them today? Um, Keith, do you want to kick us off? Oh, yeah. One key takeaway. Um, don't da- don't stand still. Don't be afraid of innovating because you can do it, is what I would say is the takeaway. Uh, everything we've talked about today has been, you know, they're in building scientists are in a great place to innovate they're in a great place to do something and innovation isn't necessarily about creating something that's never been done before it's about doing the things that you've always done but doing them in a new way that helps you connect with your customers in a way that you haven't connected with them before and i think that's the that's the thing i would be saying to them it's it, you know it's doing the basics but it's doing them in a in a way that's new to you new to your kind of area of market and delivers the service that your customers want from you and um and all the technologies we talked about will help you do that and i think it's you know think about what you can do that will turn the dial for your business and have a look at where you can start and start to prove the value and don't wait because the normal that's coming after this lockdown and this pandemic ends is not the one that we had at new year 2020. thanks keith um, Stephen. Yeah, so along the similar lines, I think it's around promoting a culture of innovation. So freeing up people's time within the organization to think about what would they do? How would they improve the process they're working on? Bringing people from different departments together to in huddles um, and just, just thinking about how they can improve the organization together. They're the ones on the front line that've got firsthand experience of their own sectors. They're experts in their in their own rights and really we should be leaning on those people to tell us what's the best things we should be doing thanks Stephen. julian um i would like to give you the limelight and the final say as our guest in this conversation yeah thank you very much well i think the guys have just made some great points uh you know keith said understand what your customers want i think that that's always important as if we're talking about building societies, you know, let's let's remember this is a group of organisations who are doing very well. Uh, you know, this is not a sector that's in dire straits. It's um, you know, it's done well through uh, through the the pandemic and has quite a few important strategic choices to take moving forward. Uh, so for those societies who are who are doing well, the most important thing is not to alienate the customers that have helped them get where they are. So I think start with the Start with your current loyal customers, understand what they want, make some decisions that that mean that that they're happy and you're helping them. Um, don't be distracted by the you know by the sort of 
bright shiny lights of trying to do something completely different to attract totally different customers um, that's not the place to start I think if, um, if, if you're looking at uh, what to do in this space so so yeah this uh, I think that's that's it Keith said it but find out what your customers want absolutely do that wonderful sage advice as always Julian um, and with that I think that's a nice sort of point to wrap up um, the conversation um, hopefully this has been useful to those of you that are listening uh, it's obviously a conversation that has evolved with us over the course of um, some months now um, so really happy that we can share it more widely and bring other people into the digital room with us uh, as always a huge thank you to you chaps for taking the time to have the conversation again julian thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us as a guest and um, it's very very much appreciated um if anyone has any questions following this conversation either to one of our speakers um, you can always get in touch with us via uh, dmwgroup.com contact us or leaving us a voice message or alternatively if your question is for um, Julian um, you can reach out to him at Whitecap Consulting um, otherwise again um, been an absolute pleasure hope this was useful and thank you for listening take care <laughs>